today, just thinking about life, just thinking about uh, what we're called to, just thinking about how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our lives, essentially, um, I, I want to share a message with you called Life in a Tent. And it's from the scripture that we find in 2 Corinthians where Paul speaks um, to the church, and he's speaking to a church in a city which is very much like Joburg. It's very much like it would have been the New York of the day, or the Miami of the day, or the Joburg of the day, or just a, a real hotbed of ideas and philosophies and, and contradicting views. And it's kind of every man for himself. There's no hierarchy. There's no, uh, you know, uh, set leadership in that city. It was really a trade city um, that just people just flocked to from all over the world um, to try and stake their claim and to make their way and to, and to, and to get rich and, and make it in life. And so it's like this real big cosmopolitan city. And along with this, there's all these mixed ideas about life and about what it's all about and, and about how you get ahead in life. And so there's this church, this in incredible church that gets started in the city of Corinth. Um, and they get influenced. The church gets influenced by the ideas of, of Greek Hellenism and, and all kinds of, of, of materialistic views and, and, and views that are very earthly. And so Paul writes to them to give them some eternal perspective, which is one of the things that I love when, when, when Paul points to these eternal realities. It's so good for us. Like if I asked you, how much do you ever think about, for example, heaven? Right? Like we know, we, we think about heaven from time to time, but, but do we live our lives in relation to eternity or do we live our lives in relation to what's happening now and what I need now and where I'm going tomorrow and what my boss just said and, and, and what you know, food I need to go buy from the store and, and how I need to look after my kids? So often we can get wrapped up in the temporary and we lose a little bit of our eternal perspective on what it is that God has purposed and planned for our lives. And when we lose our perspective, we begin to lose sight of our purpose. And when we lose sight of our purpose, we begin to lose our passion and, and, and we begin to, to sink into and, and be captured by the things that, that, that dictate our time around us. And so Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 1, and he says this, he says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent... He's talking about our bodies. This tent, our earthly house, is destroyed. We have a building from God. We have a tent on earth, but we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but because we want to be further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. We live this life in this, in this tent, this frail tent, this body that we have, this earthly vessel that's cracked and, and broken. And, and, and you know, I, I remember when I, when I broke my wrist twice, the same wrist, I got two screws in this left wrist. I thought, but in heaven, I've got a building from God, and this wrist is going to be okay. But more than that, God has got a life for us in heaven. He has got something bigger for every single one of us that is filled with meaning, that is filled with purpose, that is filled with truth. And, uh, and so we look forward to the day when our frail existence is swallowed up by life. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then 
talk a little bit about life in a tent. Father, we thank you so much today that, um, God, we can fix our eyes on you. Jesus, that you are present with us right now, Lord God, speaking to every heart, Lord. And we know that each of us hear differently, Lord God, but we pray that by your Holy Spirit, that you would carry the message of this eternal perspective of who you are and what you've called us to and the grace that is so abundantly available for us to live a life of meaning and purpose. God, I pray that you pour it out into our hearts today. I pray, Lord God, that you over, it cause us to overflow this morning with an understanding of your goodness and your love, Lord God, that it would well up within us, Lord God, that the Holy Spirit would just begin to bubble up on the inside of us like, like streams of living water coming forth, Lord God. We pray, speak to us, guide us, lead us, teach us uh, as we submit ourselves to you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for how much you love us. We give you all the glory for that. In Jesus' name, everybody say it. Amen. 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 So how many of you have ever been camping? (laughs) Come on, hands up if you've gone camping before. Hands up if you're never going to do it ever again in your life. All right? Okay, a couple couple of you, okay? Sometimes we have to because of budget constraints. But uh, camping is one of those polarizing things that you either love or hate. Like nobody is kind of like, oh, yeah, camping's okay. That you're like, I either, I hate it. I never ever, don't show me a tent. Don't show me a caravan. Don't show me the ablution blocks I have to walk to. Um, just give me a chalet with some running water and, uh, and a fridge. That's what I want, you know, and, and a nice comfy bed. Um, so people are either like that or they're like camping is the best ever. You're so in touch with the great outdoors and, and uh, you know, you spend more time with your family and you, you know, you do really just relax and get away. And, and that's kind of how I've come across, um, you know, people's responses uh, to camping. Um, and the thing with, with my wife and I is that we love the idea of camping. Like, we think that that's something we would be good at, uh, you know, just getting out there and being on our own and, and uh, you know, setting up a tent and doing the whole thing. But from our efforts in the past, we've concluded that even though we might like the idea of camping, we're not very good at it, okay? For some reason, we're just not very good at camping. And we found this out once when we went out to a place uh, in, in KwaZulu-Natal, and we decided that we were going to set up a tent. And we set up a tent only to realize, and you realize this too late, that we had left so many essential items behind or didn't own those items at all, you know. And, and one of the first things that we realized we didn't have was a hammer to hit the tent pegs in, which is so rookie, you know. Like, we had to go to the tent next door, and we're like, do you guys have a hammer? Because we came here without one. And they're, like, looking at us, like, who are you people? And, um, and so we realized we left that behind, and then a couple of other things. But then one of the critical things was we needed to make food, and we had this little burner um, that had these gas canisters that would kind of screw into them. The problem was the canister that we bought didn't have the thread to screw in. Um, it was like a pressure one, so we bought the wrong one. And so we were super hungry, so I was like, I'm, I'm making fire. Like, I mean, I'm going to make this gas bottle thing work, um, even if it kills me, and it nearly did. So um, I took this gas canister, and I propped it up, I kid you not, on some dry cow dung that I found outside, so to just raise it up. And then I, I put, with pressure, this little burner down onto it, and then I put the pot onto it real quick so that it would hold it and the gas would be open, which means it's also flowing at that time. And so we tried to light it. It lit, and it was working for a few seconds, but then, you know, it shifted slightly, and the gas canister went in, became a ball of flame inside of our tent, right? It had like a little front area. So now you know, basically imminent death is, awaits us, you know, we're like already, I commit my spirit unto you, Lord, you know, like 
all that stuff that you do just before you die. We're basically doing all of that. And then, you know, the, uh, the anointing came on me and I decided to kick it, okay? Because I was like, that is how we're going to save our lives. And so I, ran, I basically took two steps and I kicked it out the front door and uh, it worked, you know. Uh, basically, the people next door, all they saw was a flaming ball of fire, you know, uh, coming out of our tent. And so a few minutes later, they come to us with like a scuttle and a bri, and they're like, hey, do you guys, you know, it's cool. Use ours. Keep it for the holiday. Keep it. They're like, we just don't want to see anybody die. You know, it's just, that would, that would ruin the holiday. So, you know, we've, we've, we realize we're not really good at it. Also, the blow-up mattress thing, if you've ever tried to sleep on a blow-up mattress, why, there should be a guarantee on those things, because they never stay blowed up, right? You always wake up in the middle of the night, and you're lying like half on the ground, half on what's still left of the mattress. Anybody ever experienced that? And so I like wake up at three in the morning and I try and find the pump. I'm so sleepy, like I'm, I plug it in. And then all you hear in the middle of the tent, in the middle of the night is, you know, and it's like, and, and that basically was every single night. Um, and so on our last night there, we just slept in the car. Um, so the Bible talks about our earthly house, our bodies, this life as a tent. And, um, and what, it, what it's telling us is that what we live in here on earth is not a permanent structure. It's not something that's meant to be permanent. The Bible says that our bodies are like tents, and if our bodies are like tents, then it means that this life is, is merely a camping ground. It's just a place that you visit for a while. You don't live in a camping ground. You, you, you go there uh, for a specific purpose, and then you leave again. And that's what it essentially speaks about when it comes to this life, that what we have in this life, uh, in, in the sense of the, the material world that we live in, is temporary. The Bible says that the, the, that the things that are seen are temporal, and the things that are unseen are eternal, which means that we can live our lives in the temporary, we can live our lives focused on the things around us, we can be so focused on them, but essentially, we, by doing that, we sacrifice eternal things or things of eternal value. The things that you, like, like Bono would say from U2, would say, all that you can't leave behind. Well, what are the things that you can't leave behind? What are the things that you're actually going to be taking with you into the next life? Because those are the things that are valuable. And it's one of the reasons why we planted a church, because we realized that the only thing that we can take into heaven with us is other people. It's people who have come to know the goodness of Jesus. And we want to, I mean, we want to throw the biggest party up there. That, and that's what the Bible says it's going to be. We're going to have a massive party. And we want to, we've been sent by God. Like the master who sent the servant down said, just call everybody. Just go into the highways and the byways. Find the guys. They don't have to be qualified. They don't have, have to have a theological degree. They don't have to spend five hours in, uh, in, a day in prayer. They don't have to uh, be a certain level of, of moral goodness. Just go and invite them. The beggars and, 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 and the people sleeping under the bridges, bring them all in. There's lots of room in God's house. And so we are focused on the things that are eternal by God's grace. You know what God's grace is? Is that we don't have to waste our lives. That's a part of what God's grace does in our lives is that it actually doesn't just save us from our past, but it saves us to a great future and a great calling that God has for us. I don't know about you, but I want to live for these things that God has called me to, eternal things, things of value, things of purpose, things of meaning. I don't want to get to the end of my life and go, well, I, you know, I focused so much on myself, I forgot to do anything that really matters. And so 
the Bible explains or describes this life as just a short holiday. It's just a short camping trip. Essentially, in, in the light of all of eternity, it's not even, a, you know, the atomous time, that, that like blinking of an eye. It's so minuscule what we have in this world, the time that we have. And so Moses prays a prayer and he says, God, teach me the brevity of life. Teach me about how short life actually is so that I may live my days in wisdom. See, understanding perspective of what we're here for and what we do, it actually causes you to live in wisdom rather than foolishly squandering our time on our selfish desires. So we need this perspective. Life is, is fleeting and we can so quickly be overtaken. We can so quickly be, be, um, be caught up. I think it's one of the devil's greatest strategies is to keep us busy with the wrong things. Like you can be passionate and you can be zealous and you can be, you can be fired up and you can, be, you can be energetic and you can have your routine sorted out and you can be uh, intentional and purpose-driven, but you can do all of that in the wrong direction. Like Paul writes about his, his own Pharisee brothers and he says they have zeal. I testify they even have zeal for God, but their zeal, he says, is misguided. You can have misguided zeal in this life. And he says, because they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Do you know that sometimes we waste our time not just on watching series and, um, and, and walking around in malls and, and, and doing whatever, but sometimes we actually waste our time on being religious in a way that God hasn't called us to be religious. We can waste our time trying to earn God's favor. And he's standing like, when are you going to stop this? <laughs> You're wasting your time because I have already done it all, all that was necessary for you to be right with me. Do you know that? Do you know that God has done absolutely everything to make you right with him? That's why our righteousness, the scripture describes as imputed righteousness. It's given as a gift, a free gift of God. And so what's left for us is not try, is trying to become righteous, but to live in the righteousness that we already have. Otherwise, we're wasting time, right? It's like you're, you're working your whole life to earn enough money to go and buy that car that you have on your heart that's been your dream car. And meanwhile, you've had the money all along in the safe. You've just never opened up the safe. You've always had what it took to do what God has called you to do. And let me tell you this. If you gave your heart to Jesus today, you would have what it takes to do what God has called you to do because you don't do it in your own strength. Our sufficiency is not from ourselves, but from God. And so we want to be focused on the right things, not let the devil catch us up in, in, in all these, these frustrations and, and these distractions. And so what Paul does is he continuously points people to eternal realities. He continuously says, hey, your life is a tent. Our lives are like mist before the sun that disappears in a moment when the sun comes up. You know, we, 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 we're, we're like the flowers of the field that we're here today and, and, and tomorrow it's, it's gone. We, it's so, the brevity of life. Life is short. And so let's live our days in, in wisdom focused on what really matters. But what some people do is they set up their tent like they're going to live there forever. Have you seen people like that? Have you ever been to a camping? You know, there's always in every camping ground, there's always one guy who's like, I'm going to be the king of this camping ground. I will buy up five stands and, and I will basically set up an empire within this, 
you know, and I will have allies and I will, you know, recruit members and workers and, and, and you know, drain all the electricity and, and, and they just, I'm going to dominate this camping ground for at least half of December. And, uh, and, that's, and, I, and I've seen that. We once took a group of young guys. We, I was a youth pastor at the time and I took a group of young guys out to um, a, a camping site out in Rustenburg just to spend a weekend there with them. And we camped in this space, and there were these guys that had taken up several stands, but you've never seen anything like it. Their tent was better than my house, literally better than my house. They had this whole army tent vibe going in. We would just walk past the entrance to see because they had living areas. They had couches. They somehow got couches to this place and, um, and, and had carpets down, and they had a full kitchen with a deep freeze, and, um, and a sad, they had a pole outside with a satellite dish on, and they were watching the rugby on the Saturday that we were there, and uh, they had boats and jet skis outside, and we were just amazed at the effort that these guys put in into setting up this, this holiday situation for themselves. And, uh, and you don't do that when you're planning on staying just a little while. Like, you don't put that kind of effort in if it's just for the weekend, right? Like, these guys are like, who needs, you know, country lodge? We'll just build our own, you know, out of cloth, you know? And that's, and that's what they did because they decided that they were going to invest in that temporal structure. And this is what people, and oftentimes us, this is what we do in life, is that we often forget about the eternal and we end up making life all about us. And this is honestly the, um, the biggest issue in our generation, is how self-centered um, and narcissistic we are. Even in our faith, it's all about us. Even in what we do from week to week, day to day, it's all about us. Even in our marriages, we do it all about us. It's all about what I can get from it. And that's why so many marriages are failing and people are giving up on the idea of marriage because they go, I'm not fulfilled. It's, I'm not satisfied. I'm not getting what I want to get out of it. Whereas marriage was never meant to be what you can get out of it. It was meant to be what you can give and how you can grow and how God can work through marriage to mature you and to cause you to understand a deeper joy and a deeper knowledge and a deeper truth. And in life, sometimes God stretches us because he's actually helping us grasp some of the things that are eternal. Do you realize? God will sometimes take your tent, the Bible. I didn't want to read the scripture this morning because it's been read so many times. You've probably heard it, but the whole scripture of I'm going to enlarge your tent and, and, and I want you to move your stakes out wider and make room. And you know, sometimes God does that. He moves the, the, the tent pegs and the stakes that you've put in the ground. And he goes, I want to enlarge this a little bit. And that stretching process can be difficult at times, right? There's some pain in the stretch. If you've ever gone to gym and tried to stretch, there's some pain in that stretch. It's not easy. And sometimes God will put some pressure on our temporal existence because he's doing something expensive with our eternal perspective. He's giving us eternal perspective. It's a greater gift than what we could even comprehend. When God, by doing that, sometimes we just, when we have, when we suffer, we go through difficult things. We go, God, just end this. I've prayed that prayer many times. I just want this to be over. I want it to be finished. And God goes, no, there's a process. There's a process for you. There's some things I'm teaching you. There's some things I'm doing in your heart. There's some things I'm setting you free from. Paul says, like, I, I had this, this, this spirit tormenting me for three days and wouldn't leave me. And I begged God for three days, take it away, take it away. And God said, nope, 
My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is perfected in your weakness. You see, he's moving us from our weakness to his strength. That's the process. And sometimes God would use difficult situations to stretch us because he's causing us to mature, because he's causing us to lay a hold of eternal life in a greater measure. And so um, instead of focusing on how much we can get out of life and how comfortable we can make life for ourselves, I believe that God is calling us to focus on the value of the eternal things that he wants us to lay a hold of. And one of the things that the scripture describes regarding people that have come to know Jesus and his goodness is they describe it as going from being blind to being able to see. From having sat in darkness to having seen a light. And, and it's really what God does as he, the Bible says, enlightens our understanding. He helps us to grasp more of what it is that he has for us. And what it does is it changes the way that you live. Right? Have you ever tried to run in a direction while looking at something else? Have you ever tried that? <laughs> Tracy's nodding her head. I don't know what context that was in, but I would, have loved, I would love to know. I'll ask you afterwards. She's like, mm-hmm, I've done that. But, but if you've ever tried to run, I remember when I, and I didn't do this for very long, but at a time I tried to do kind of off-road motorbiking. And uh, I would always, when I was riding, be so worried um, as I was riding through, you know, we used to go right over the Marezberg mine dumps and all those things. And then you would see this like big branch sticking out. And uh, you would obviously want to avoid things that are going to make you fall on the motorbike. And, um, and so the mistake I made early on is I would look at the branch and try and miss it. And I remember falling a couple of times. And the guy's like, what are you doing? I was like, well, I saw the branch and I you know, was looking at it. I want to go around it. And they were like, what you look at, you hit. What you look at, you hit. You, you can't look at something and go in the other direction. So don't look at where you don't want to go. Look at where you do want to go. Focus on where you're meant to go. And that was what I realized. So, so when we have eternal perspective, when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, guess where we're heading? We're heading in that direction. We're heading in God's plans and purposes for our lives. We're going in the direction that God has for us. But you keep your eyes on yourself. You keep your eyes on your bank account. You keep your eyes on your career. You keep your eyes on those things. And that's what you're going to hit. And those are the things that you're going to then, at the end of the day, look to to try and save you, and, and they won't be able to. And so life is not about how comfortable we can be. That's not the purpose of a tent, right? That's not why they made tents. That's why they made bricks, <laughs> is to make things really comfortable and really secure and really safe. The, the idea of a tent is that it's temporary, that it's mobile, that it's light, that it doesn't have... Uh, roots into the ground, but that it is, it is living a life that is not invested in this world. And that's what God wants for us, to live life light. He says, come, bring, bring your burdens to me, and I will put my yoke upon you, because my yoke is light and easy to bear. Isn't that incredible? That's what God invites us to, a light life, a life that, that, that is is anchored in Jesus, but light in this world. We, we're overcomers in this world. Jesus said, in this world you will face many troubles, but be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. And in him we are overcomers together. So I'm really praying that God would help us 
to, as much as we know this, the problem is, is that there's a process we have to keep reminding ourselves by looking at Jesus. We have to tell ourselves every day, today I'm going to look at Jesus. You know, I'm just going to be completely honest with you this morning. I did it again this morning here just in worship while we're worshiping. Because, you know, when you're leading a church, you buy into the lie that the church is going to be successful on the back of how well you do at leading it, right? And I believe in being intentional and having good leadership and all of the rest. But at the same time, if Jesus doesn't build this house, if God doesn't build this house, those who labor, labor in vain. What we need is the Holy Spirit to move and change hearts and, and inspire and, 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 and deliver and, and, and break free and, and, and you know, instill that sense of purpose more than just some good leadership strategies, Right? And so again this morning, I have to do it every day. I have to preach the gospel to myself every day. Again this morning, I go, okay, Jesus, this church is your church. I'm just a servant in your house. I'm just doing the things that you've called me to do, and I give it to you. You build your church. You add to the church daily like you've always done. You change hearts. We'll watch you do it. Because otherwise, what we do is we take this tent of ours, and before you know it, we have a pole up, and it's got a satellite dish on it, and we've got DSTV going on on the inside, and, and, and we've bought a nice little camping fridge that's standing in the corner, and we've got a boat parked outside, and we've got games out on the table, and, and a couch in front of the TV, and, and we start to feel the weight of trying to cater to our own needs, and trying to make our own way through life. C.S. Lewis said this, um, which I just found so applicable in this sense. Is he, said, he said, prosperity knits a man to the world. Prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it, while really it is finding its place in him. Isn't that true, though? Kind of when you grow up and you, you know, get to buy a house, and you get to buy a car, and you get to do, you're like, hey, I'm finding my place in the world. But what the danger is, is that actually the world is finding its place in us. It's taking up stock in our hearts. That's why Jesus says where, where, your, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And so we, we are free to have possessions, but to have them without those possessions having us. Right? To have those things without our money owning us, we own our money. What it comes down to is where we find our significance in life. Where do you find your significance? Where would you, or what would you feel about your own self if your career didn't work out the way that you thought it was going to? Or if you weren't driving the car that you're driving right now? Uh, some of you are like, I don't have an issue with that. Uh, my car doesn't affect my identity. Um, and, you know, or if you didn't have the house that you have right now, or you didn't have the social status that you have right now, what would you think about yourself? What would you think about your own life? Where's your identity? Where are you drawing your significance from? I've noticed this um, sometimes is that when you've got a bank account that's like doing fairly okay, isn't it amazing how you're a little bit more pumped for worship on a Sunday? You're like, hey, what's up everybody? I'm here to, here to worship. You walk in and you've got like an empty bank account or you've got worries or you've got fearfulness or, you know, something with your health or whatever and you come in and you're like, hey, you know. I'm just going to worship Jesus. Please, Jesus. Please, Jesus. You know, It's a clue as to where we are actually drawing our significance and our strength and our confidence from. So Paul writes and he says, In this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our heavenly home. We desire to be clothed with our heavenly home. 
And I think we can all be honest here this morning to say that life can be difficult many times and that we face the reality of pain and the reality of disappointment and the reality of hurt and the weight of life. In fact, we can actually, through all those things, begin to doubt the promises that God has for us. We can begin to doubt the goodness of God towards us. And I was just going through Genesis. I don't know why, but at one point I started reading Genesis yesterday, and then I didn't really stop for a couple of chapters. Um, And I just wanted to show you this. I don't have it up on the slides, but in, in Genesis 13, God makes a promise to Abraham And he makes a couple of promises, but here he says in verse 14, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also could be counted. He says, arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, uh, where, uh, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So he gets this amazing promise from God that he's going to have offspring and that they're going to be so numerous that they're going to outnumber the grains of sand, that he will essentially become a great nation and through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And 20 years later, 15 to 20 years later, Abraham still doesn't have a son. He still doesn't have a child. And he's like, but God, have you, have you ever been in that position? We've been like, God promised something over your life. You read it in the Bible. You took it for yourself. You believe this is what God has for me. And then there's just a delay. That's the stretching. That's the stretching. The Bible says in Hebrews, by faith and perseverance, we inherit the promises. There's some perseverance And it's faith-filled perseverance. It's not just perseverance. It's being faithful even when you don't see the result. But we're human and and, and we go through these these difficulties. And so check at this. This is just so fun for me that Abraham, the father of faith, this is what he said in, in Genesis 15. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I'm your shield, your reward. You shall be very great. And Abraham's had enough of these promises. But Abraham said, oh Lord God, what will you give me? (laughs) What will you give me, God? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this man shall not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him, listen to this, outside. He brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. Come outside of your earthly dwelling, your earthly circumstances, your restrictions, your limitations, the thing that you've been living in going, but what is God gonna do in my life? Because look at the four walls of of this tent. Look at how frail it is. Look at how little is going on on the inside here. How is God gonna do something miraculous in my life when this is the situation that I live in? And God says to Abraham, won't you just quickly step outside of the tent and look at the stars? I want you to look up at the stars. And if if you are able to number them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. 
And this is where Abraham became the father of faith. It says in verse six, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness because he said, okay, even though my, my, my circumstances are contradictory to what I believe God has promised, I'm gonna keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. And so every now and again, God needs to bring us outside of our circumstances into his presence and say, I don't want you to look at your tent. I want you to look towards the heavens. I want you to know what I have for you in the heavens, how you're seated with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. That's who you are. Now believe. Now believe. It's what changes everything. And that's the hope that we have. The privilege that we have as Christians is that we get to live these lives filled with meaning while keeping our eyes and our hope squarely in Jesus. We never live a hopeless life. There's always hope, no matter what your situation is. There's hope. And we live hopeful life, lives before God. Lives filled with purpose, where even our suffering has a purpose. And so Paul writes to those in Corinth, and he says, I want you to think eternally. Even in how you live your life. I've just got one or two more scriptures I want to show you. 1 Corinthians 3.11 Listen to this. It says, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's no other way for us to build a true life, a true home, other than in Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. In other words, we get given this foundation, but we still get to choose how we build, how we live, what we focus on in this life. And the day will declare it. Because it will be re revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. In other words, this is not about whether you or not you're going to be saved, but this is regarding how we build on this foundation of Jesus, yet so as through fire. In other words, you can choose to live your life and what you do with your life the things that you invest your time in is either like building with hay and straw and temp temporal things that will be burned up in fire or you can choose to build with gold and silver and precious stones and things that will survive through the fire. Things that are eternal, things that are valuable. That's the picture that Paul is saying here. It's like you get to build, build something that's gonna last. You get to build a life by the grace of God. Build something as he directs you. Take heed how you build on this foundation. And we need God's grace to be able to do this, right? By no means do I wanna try and shift your attention from Jesus back to yourself and go, okay, I better just be good. It's not about being good. It's about what are you, where, where's your faith? That's what it's about. What are you doing by faith? Titus 2 verse 11 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Listen what the grace of God does. People sometimes say that grace uh, helps people to sin. But the Bible says something different. The Bible says the grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness. Right? That's what the Bible says. The grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, 
and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, that's our eyes towards, towards Jesus again, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's what the grace of God does in your life. It brings you to Jesus and it helps you to live a life that honors God. So we have this building from God. You're living in this tent on earth, but you have a building from God, a house not built with hands. Colossians 3, 1 to 3 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's where your new life is. That's the significance that we have. Set your mind on eternal things. And finally, Matthew 6, 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. How many of you are ready this year to live a life that is filled with purpose and meaning? Come on, how many of you are ready to say, I, I don't want to be so caught up in my own selfish desires, and, my, and, and I need this as well. Like I, I'm saying this for my own self. I'm saying, God, I want to be more focused on you and what you've called me to do and less focused on my own needs and desires. And one of the best ways to do that is to know my significance in Christ, is to know my identity, is to know my value so that I can walk without having to make up for where I think I lack, right? We're not trying to appear good. We're just trying to follow God and do what he's called us to do. So I really pray that for your life. I really pray that God will continue just giving us this perspective of heaven, bring us outside of our circumstances and say, this is why I'm on the earth. This is my purpose. This is the meaning that God has given to me and I'm gonna run after it with all of my heart. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's uh, pray together this morning.